playing kiddos, you can be uh, dismissed. Now, sometimes I have illustrations I wish that kids could stay in for. And last week, our little uh, Abigail was out sick, and so yes, they always get excited when they're sick. It's kind of strange, even though they're lethargic. They're like, ooh, that means we get to watch more TV or movies. Um, so one of them, we have the classic Disney Cinderella that we put on for Abigail. And as you know, Disney merged itself with uh, ESPN, and so we have this term in our culture from Cinderella, right? This uh, rags to riches, this unexpected tale that turns out for her to become a princess. And so ESPN is an extra, it's a kid's DVD, but their extra was the top 10 Cinderella sports stories of all time was on the DVD. And that was more interesting to me, honestly, than the movie. But uh, yeah, in there, you know, and I love Cinderella stories. I love the uh, ideas of uh, like that boxer that comes out of the streets, he gets a shot against the champ and he knocks out Mike Tyson. Or uh, in basketball, uh, the team that rises up from the ashes that nobody expects to win from the small school going in the Cinderella story of beating the big school. I love the story of uh, being from Indiana of Brad Stevens. He's now the coach of the Celtics. But see, he was um, a real smart student at his school, a small college, and uh, played a little basketball, about Division Three, and then he went in to the business world as an accountant. And he's like, you know, I have a passion for coaching. So he volunteered for the Butler Bulldogs, and then the next year they made an assistant out of him, and three years later they made him head coach, and he won 30 games. And then he went to the Final Four, and I got to go to that Final Four in Houston. And he took that Butler team and almost upset and won the title, just a, a shot short of beating Duke. But then he did it again the next year, and then they hired him to be the head coach of the Boston Celtics, the biggest franchise in basketball history, most championships, all in a span of a short six years, from an accountant to a head NBA coach. People couldn't even believe it. And so we love the unexpected, starting from out of nowhere, God coming, and, or, or people coming and, and doing big things. And, you know, as we get back into Mark and we look at Mark chapter 3, uh, you kind of have to wonder how it went. Uh, Jesus had, at uh, this time, had followers, right? So he had men and women, probably some kids or teens following him. And these crowds would just kind of go everywhere with him. And they would call him Jesus' disciples. Well, out of those, he went up on a mountainside and he began to narrow it down, right? And so kind of maybe like a, a, a little bit of a, a schoolyard pick. Uh, maybe he was up there on the mountain and, and he looked out in the crowd and, and he said, well, you guys smell the worst. Uh, if you take a bath, you can come with me. So he drafts the, the fishermen to come alongside him. He's like, you know, we're, we're traveling a lot. Maybe we need some crowd control. And so, uh, you know, he had these um, two brothers and they were nicknamed the Sons of Thunder. Now, that's a good draft pick, the Sons of Thunder. I wish Randy and I were named that something, but... Uh, so they had a nickname. He called them. Then maybe he looked over at Simon. Simon was known uh, for uh, being a zealot, uh, uh, being really involved in politics and against Rome. And so he said, well, you got a lot of passion. We're going to take you. We're going to use you, direct your passion, maybe in a, a little different direction. But I think you're going to be a good fit. Um, might have looked at a guy. Um, 
named Judas and said, well, I, I hear you're pretty good with money and we, we need a financial secretary and treasurer, so uh, uh, we'll have you come on board the team. And uh, then, then uh, the two guys everybody forgets, right? Uh, Bartholomew and Thaddeus, they were among the 12. Uh, maybe he just called them on and said, we're going to give you different nicknames, uh, you know, uh, Barton Thad or something. You don't have to say your names all the time. Uh, but he drafted this team, and this team uh, ended up uh, being quite unexpected. And uh, he chose an underdog crew, an unexpected team made up of underwhelming people. And I'm sure people started to look and wonder, I don't know if this is really the Messiah. That is not, I don't know what he's planning to do with that group. <laughs> I don't know what he's planning to accomplish with these, these men. Uh, I'm not sure that he gets it. I'm not sure that he understands. And I don't know if these guys understood that following Jesus means anything, anywhere, anytime. <laughs> it means He's got control of your life now. And I know they didn't have a clue what lay before them, but they were willing to respond uh, to him. And so as he looked at that and he talked about it, Jesus began to uh, describe the kingdom of God. One of his most common themes in his preaching was the kingdom of God is near. I am here. And people had all these expectations. Okay, what is he talking about? when he talks about the kingdom of God. What does it look like? And we've talked about this time and time again. They wanted Jesus to be something that would fit uh, their perspective. And so he did not meet their expectations. Neither did these 12 guys who he picked. They didn't have the pedigree. They didn't have the uh, training in the scriptures or the Torah or the law. And family name may not have been that great for most of them. Some of them, we don't even know where they came from. Uh, one of them was known for his doubting, doubting Thomas, he comes out. And so it's an interesting crew. And yet in Jesus' preaching, he continued to say, the kingdom is at hand, the kingdom is at hand. And the people wanted him to deal with Rome. They wanted him to heal them immediately. They wanted him to reproduce miracles. And they had all these demands of Jesus. So he began uh, to shift it and to do some teaching of them to kind of get them in line. But I wonder this morning, as we look at this, what do you expect from God? <laughs> what were your expectations when you heard the gospel or, or when you come into a, a new church plant or what a church should be or what other people should do? What were your dreams for your own life? <laughs> what were you hoping from God? What do you expect from God? Has he met your expectations? Are things different? Are you disappointed at times? Frustrated? You know, how did you want your story, or how do you want your story to turn out? Why don't you keep that in mind this morning? It's an important question. If you'll open with me to Mark chapter 4, next week we're going to dig into this uh, first parable. But Jesus begins to enter into these parables and uh, teaching about the kingdom of God. And parables are word pictures, they're analogies that grab attention of the listener, and they persuade or explain a key spiritual truth. Um, no one definition can fit all the parables. Um, some are different with different meanings and intent, and we'll talk more and more about that as we go through these. And so 
these are called the kingdom parables. Uh, he's beginning to give them a picture of what the kingdom of God is like to help them readjust their expectations and to help point forward to what God is doing. And so today we're going to start in verse 26. And uh, it says this, it says, And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. The earth produces by itself the first blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of a mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. And yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but, many private, but privately to his own disciples, he did explain everything. And so, in general, as we walk through these parables, some things you can keep in mind is that um, we have a seed, a sower, and soil. Uh, the, the seed is the good, news of the good news of the gospel. Jesus points that out, explains it. Sower is someone who shares the gospel, and the soil is the heart of a person, uh, the soul of somebody, and how we respond to that seed. So keep that in mind as we walk through these in this picture Jesus is giving. So he's talking here about farming. Many in his audience at that time would have understood this. Uh, they would have understood that process. And um, whether you think of it in terms of modern science and what we know or in terms of what that audience knew and understood, we don't want to miss the point that really it's quite an amazing mystery how some things work in our world, how a seed can go into dirt and with the proper conditions open up and form a plant. And the neat thing about it is, right, you put that seed in the ground and you do everything you can to get the ground prepared and to put it in the correct time of year and you don't know if it's really working and you don't want to disturb it, but you just keep watching to see if a little shoot comes up out of the ground. Kind of like kids, right? If you ever done that, get your dirt cup from school, and then you put the seed in and set it up on the windowsill, water it, and you, the kids just wait and wait, try to see if the seed's going to come up and hope that it works. It, it, it's an amazing process that Jesus is describing. He's saying the farmer doesn't know how it works, but he goes about putting in the seed, and then he goes and he... He rests, and he waits. And I think we often take for granted that God is in charge. He orchestrates everything on this earth, and he's the one that provides the optimal conditions. We, I mean, as scientific as we are, we haven't created a machine to control the weather. And droughts impact our crops, and you could do everything right, but if Mother Nature <laughs> doesn't cooperate you're not going to have a fruitful season, are you? Some things are just out of your control. The Lord provides the optimal conditions and the essential elements for growth. And 
It's interesting in here that it says um, in verse 28, it goes, the earth produces by itself. That phrase in the, in the original language is auto, automatic is the word we get from it. The earth produces automatically. And so uh, the seed grows automatically. It's this picture of this a mysterious spiritual transformation inside of us, the soil of a heart. We don't always see it or see the results of it immediately, but the gospel in there is the Holy Spirit works. The gospel is what brings about salvation. It does its work. And so what Jesus, I believe, is um, pointing to and saying here is this, that he delights um, to spreading the gospel. I think I skipped one there. But um, no matter what is going on in the world, good or bad, the gospel will continue to grow, leading to changed lives and rescued sinners. The gospel is going to produce change. And Jesus is saying that you have come, you've been faithful, but he is inaugurating a ministry now that leads to us here today. Think about that. The seed of the gospel was being sown in his ministry. He was living it out, heading his way to the cross, drawing people to himself, called apostles to himself. They were going to go help establish the church. And he's saying, this is all going to happen. <laughs> the seed is being planted right now. You may not know what's going to come out of this or grow. You may not understand it, may not meet your expectations. But this is the starting and the beginning of the planting of the seed, and it is going to grow. <laughs> it is going to produce a crop. Just like that farmer, it is going to happen. And so do we trust the seed to bear fruit? Do we believe that God is in control and that the gospel is that message that we are to bring? Do we believe the gospel is that powerful, powerful enough to change our lives, but powerful enough that we're willing to carry it and sow it to its people in our lives? <laughs> do we actually trust God's word to do its work? Do we believe that that's what happens? You see, God has chosen by his own plan to allow us to be farmers and to scatter seed. He's allowed us, actually, as we'll see over the next few weeks, to be a part of that whole process that they described here in this passage of the growth and seeing it grow, helping it grow, harvesting, all of those things. God has given us this opportunity to be a part of it. But the thing is, I, listen, I've been in ministry, and I've actually, my dad's been in ministry even longer, but have you been able to predict yet what the gospel's going to do in someone's life? I haven't figured it out. I can't predict who's going to respond when and where to the gospel. <laughs> uh, just faithfully putting it out there and trusting the Lord to use it as he will. As people go about their lives and the kingdom is present and active, even if we don't see immediate evidence of heart change, something is happening. Sometimes you may be the one that uh, gets to come along and someone else way back in the day planted a seed of the gospel and somebody comes in and you're talking to them and then it all makes sense. And they don't even know that the seed they planted is, took root. And later on, bore fruit. So we have to trust God in this process. And we may even think that, man, it's fading or absent. God is at work. 
Humans do not bring in the kingdom. God brings in the kingdom. We are tools used by God, but his kingdom will grow. A farmer can't uh, get down there and force that seed open. All we can do is the work that God has called us to do. And so as we look at that and we think through that, Jesus moves on and he talks about another seed, the mustard seed. Now, critics will look at this passage and be like, scientifically, that's not the smallest seed. It was the smallest seed his audience commonly used. So he's saying, listen, the smallest seed that you all use, and it's, a, I don't even know, like the thickness of my, it's one millimeter. So on average, it's about one millimeter. And the trees can reach anywhere from three feet to four and as big as ten feet from a, that little of a seed. Um, sometimes they look more kind of like a bush with all the branches that uh, the mustard tree had at that time and in that soil. And, and so Jesus talks about this, and they, they would have understood this in the Jewish and Greco-Roman world about what this was. And his main point is pretty simple. We don't need to overanalyze it. I think the main point he's getting at is the mustard seed picture urges and warns possibly that no one should be put off by what appears unimpressive. <laughs> it's kind of saying, you, you think this is a ragtag bunch and you, you expected a big parade and military show? He's like, you just watch what becomes of what I've started. <laughs> you just wait and see what God's got in store for this world, what he's got in store for his life. Um, you know, the tiny mustard tree growing into a large plant, um, the hidden, unnoticed, ignored, has great potential when it is in the power of the Lord. And I really do believe that God delights in spreading the gospel through the unexpected, the seemingly insignificant, in order to produce eternal impact. Think about that. The, the unexpected or seemingly insignificant can have an eternal impact. And so as we look through the scriptures, we can see that this truth rings through over and over and over. Even in the Old Testament of the people God chose to use, whether it was this guy Gideon to lead an army that he kept shrinking to win a battle, or Joseph in his life, and how he went from being a slave all the way to being in charge of most of Egypt. Paul says this in uh, 1 Corinthians, and uh, he says this, uh, consider your calling, let's see, I think I have that later on here. My, I might have accidentally erased my verses today. I did. I was playing around with it before the service. Let me read it to you from 1 Corinthians. It says, um, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast except in the very presence of God. Even in the Old Testament, they were coming back to rebuild the temple and it was declared, don't despise the day of small things for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. 
So God has a different standard, a different economy than we have. He uses the weak. And he, he finds pleasure in using broken people, messed up people like you and like me, to change lives for eternity. And there are lots of things you can accomplish in this world, but to think about that. To be a part of seeing a soul come from eternal condemnation to being with the Lord forever is a huge privilege. And God has chosen these 12 men, seemingly insignificant men. He, he chooses Paul. He chooses many people throughout history to be a part of his work. And so we truly believe God called everybody to sow the gospel, and he delights in using you and your story in unexpected ways so that Jesus Christ is glorified. And so as we think about this and we understand this, um, Paul says this, he says this, and it, it, it reminded me of this journey of church planting, <laughs> you know, God said, and Jesus said, I will build my church. I'll bring my kingdom about. I will do what I would like to do with the seed that is sown. I'll inspire people to start churches, go and share about churches. And Paul began by planting churches, going back and circling back and saying, okay, now appoint elders to lead. Now figure out your gifts so you can serve and build up one another. Now be generous as a church. And as soon as that happened, what happened? Same thing that we have in our culture, especially in Corinth. They begin to say, I like this guy's podcast. No, 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 Apollos, he, he's a better speaker. No, no, that church has better programs. And so Paul enters the scene and he said, listen, in, in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, though whom you believe is the Lord assigned to teach. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building up on it. Let each one take care how he builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The gospel is the creator of the greatest Cinderella stories we have ever known and will ever know. The greatest changes, the greatest uh, joy from the midst of tragedy and struggle that we will ever know. We must have mustard seed thinking, but not slip into the rush of expectation and comparison. Now, it's interesting in this new role I have of uh, coaching church planters. I can pick my mood based on which guy I talk to. I've got uh, one guy I talk to, and uh, he's not, I'm not coaching him. I just happen to meet him as another planter in town, and he's renting an office space, and just he and his family show up each week, and they're hoping other people come. Never had the gift of a, a core team or, or gathering from other churches. So I could look at him and feel good and think, oh, look how great I am. And then I can look over here at another guy uh, who came in and they have a big coffer of money and God's bringing people and doing work. And that's the vision and gifting that that person has. 
And so we could sit here comparing and contrasting, but what we're called to do is use our gifts to the best we can and allow the Lord to do the work and to build his church. And that's hard. And so uh, there's a phrase that I like to say, see if I have it up here. It's one I used on all of my missions trips. Um, and so work as if it depends on us, but sleep knowing it is Jesus who changes lives and grows his church. And uh, in basketball, I always said, compete within the rules as hard as you can to win this game, but rest knowing that our purpose is bigger than winning the game. <laughs> so in other words, give your best effort. Uh, use your gifts. We're going to go out. We're going to spread the gospel. We're going to do events in the park. We're going to share our story and lay the groundwork. But at night, we got to know God's in control and what he wants to happen needs to happen and will happen on his schedule. And so I've been uh, fascinated, Rachel, and then the kids have had some studies and uh, different movies and things. So I've been fascinated. You know, they had that royal wedding or something, you know, having royal babies or something. And so it's always interesting to kind of try and understand how that operates different than the United States. And one of the only reigning monarchies left. And they call their monarchy, what do they call them? The sovereign. And yet, uh, if you see it, uh, they have the monarchy and then the prime minister and the parliament. And what you have is uh, the prime minister would come in and say all these things they're hoping to do. And then in one of the shows I watched, the movie, the queen looked at it and said, well, it looks like you've already got the decision made. And he's like, well, yes, but we need your blessing sign here. <laughs> and so it was really more of a formality, but the people need to know that you are behind us. And so there really wasn't much power in the sovereign. Uh, and I thought about that, and I thought, you know, that's kind of how uh, we operate in our lives sometimes. We operate as if uh, we are the prime minister. We say God is sovereign, but... Uh, so it's kind of like this. I say, well, here's Kevin's life, what I want. I, wanna, uh, I wanted to be a, a coach on some level, uh, be a part of a church. I wanted to find a wife, of course. And I wanted to own my own home, and kids would be cool. Uh, travel, I love that. You list a lot of things that you want for your life. And at the bottom, Jesus, uh, sign off on this for me. <laughs> I've got it all, you know. Yeah, no, no, I, I've got it all planned out, Jesus. I'm, I'm following you, but I need, here's my plan. Uh, that's what we want to do with him. <laughs> we treat him as if we're the prime minister with all the power, and uh, he's the sovereign. He just blesses what we're going to do. Uh, and yet that's not the picture we have here, these seeds, is it? Uh, Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is going to grow, and it's going to grow in your life, and it um, really presents kind of a, it's like a blank slate, your life. <laughs> you give your life to Christ, and he gets to fill it in. Now, I don't know, uh, I'm not going to do this up here because I can't. Uh, Amy and I have a friend who could probably pull this off while I'm preaching, but uh, uh, there's a, you've ever been in those services, they do start artwork, and then by the end it all fills in. Sometimes you see a started work of art, and it just doesn't look good or kind of ugly, or sometimes you have something in your life, you're like, how could God ever do anything with this? How could God ever grow anything out of this period of my life? And it looks pretty ugly. 
But see, Jesus sees the entire picture. It's not a blank whiteboard to him. He sees who you are. You're beautiful to him. He knows how he's going to work it out. And sometimes we try to add our own drawings to it. And even whenever he met, we do that, he can color in around it when we submit to him and trust him and make it beautiful. And are we trusting the gospel work in our life, saying, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to obey you. I don't know what it's going to look like. I'm going to go share. That I'm going to offer to pray for this person who's pretty caustic at work, and they may get mad at me. I'm going to be have integrity in this decision in my workplace or in school. I'm not going to participate in the thing the other kids do, and I know it's going to cost me something, but I trust that your kingdom's going to grow and produce fruit. I believe in you more than I believe in myself and my control. Um, and it, it's kind of our approach that we've, we've taken and we've looked at. What about incline? What is God going to use us for? I could have had my list of ten things to accomplish and do. And I did. And God kept telling me, you're wrong. I've got a better plan. And the better plan is sitting here in front of me. All of you, I couldn't have predicted that. Can't predict who's going to come or what gifts you would bring. They're like, whoa, that's a pretty cool gift. Or, whoa, I love how that person's ministering to that other person. That's unexpected. <laughs> so God's beginning to fill this picture in, and it's going to be used for what he wants to use it for. And I tell you, some nights that keeps me up because <laughs> I want control. I would like to know. God, God, you know, And he's given me a vision for where I want to push things towards. But ultimately, we do the work and we rest in God's hands about what he's going to do. And I know enough to know that what he wants to do is better than the plans I could lay. It doesn't mean it's going to be easier <laughs> or prettier. Because guess what? When you put a church together of broken people, as soon as one person attends, we're messed up. But if the Lord is present, he makes something beautiful out of our mess, doesn't he? And we've heard those stories throughout these last two years, as some of you have shared with us, the different stories from family tragedies with kids to hurt relationships uh, to deaths in the family. Even having uh, Lynn and her husband martyred, she shared at one of our first Easter services, that story of God's faithfulness in the midst of murder and death. I don't know how that could be beautiful, but that's the power of God's seed, of the kingdom of God and the gospel. That's what this world needs. That's what this neighborhood needs, is that power and that perspective. Other seeds produce plants, and when the plants grow, they drop other seeds that produce other plants. And that's what we're called to do, is to spread the seeds of the kingdom of God. I had a joy this week of, uh, once again, meeting with our Eastside Pastors group. And we don't even talk about, really, uh, how our churches are doing. We get there and we just encourage one another in this journey of trusting God and sowing seeds. And How's your family? How are your kids? How can I pray for you? It's, it's the amazing power of this little gospel story that takes our story and makes them great stories. Now, as a coach, one of my favorite things to do in basketball was to get the huddle and draw up little plays. Like, you screen here, you do this, you pop over there, and then see if the players would actually do it and we could win a game. I mean, I love that. I've got a whiteboard out again. Um, I love playing and planning. 
Well, how many, any of you watched that disappointing event last Sunday night? Anybody waste their time? Oh, um, but uh, what if one of the teams got the lead and then went back in the huddle and they put their knee down and said, we got the lead, let's just stay in the huddle. We don't need to run another play. That's the first quarter. Doesn't matter. So what did the NFL do? Delay a game penalty. They put in a play clock so that you couldn't stay in the huddle. I think churches need a play clock. I think it is very comfortable for us once we start to get together to really enjoy calling plays but never go out and run them because to run them is a risk that it's not going to work. And so we're called to break that huddle, to go out and to run the play. And then in a play, each and every one of you has a role. And that's why when we get together here on Sundays, we say, okay, what are you going to go out and do? What is God calling you to do? What is the next step God's calling you to take? We love getting together. It's necessary. You've got together in that huddle. <laughs> You've got to get together, get on the same page, understand the same truth and how God's shaped us to move forward. Uh, we got this. We grow, figure out roles and get people in. Over time, your role may change. Some of you are coming into our huddle and we're going to release you out and you're going to be sent out uh, to another place to huddle up and run plays. And we want to be, you to be equipped to do that. And so even this morning, I ask you, what is your next step? How, who is writing your story? Are you still battling with God, trying to compete? <laughs> it doesn't mean we don't plan, we don't dream, but it means we hold everything loosely. We don't cling to it. We say, Lord, here's what I think you're calling me to do. We hold it loosely because this world it just changes things so dramatically. Even with our church, we, we hold it loosely. We say, this is what we want to do what we want to be but god if, if we're on the wrong path change it <laughs> so i go to the elders sometimes with my plans and schemes and they're getting used to it now but uh i'll just say here's what i'm thinking but if it's really wacky please tell me before i go public <laughs> uh, that there's sounding board uh and many of you bring ideas and things into the huddle so uh, are you comfortable in the huddle or are you playing your role or some people have been on the bench because church, sometimes we hurt other people. Maybe you've been hurt by church. You need to realize you're important. You're vital to the mission. Some of us think our seed's too small. We're too insignificant. I say, look back at those 12 men. Nobody would have written their names down and predicted those would be the 12. And nobody would have picked Paul. He was the complete opposite side of the aisle, and he killed people. I wouldn't have chosen him on my team. I don't want a guy in my locker room who wants to kill me. Um, and yet God used him and changed him a complete 180. And so I want you all to think about that, to wonder about that. And I want to challenge you and to take that prayer sheet that uh, Pastor John's going to talk about in a little bit here and, and take it and and really internalize it and say, how can I be a part of this? Because if, if incline is impacting your life, whether it's the service or somebody here, or you think it can impact somebody's life, then throw that seed out, invite and gather. Share it with people. Step out of your comfort zone. Because we want our visions to have that long-term impact, to see a harvest. And, but my bigger vision than that is I want things to happen 
through incline that we look back and we say, only God could have done that. <laughs> only God could get the credit for that. That wasn't our ingenuity. And we're just blown away by the power of the Lord in building his kingdom. That's what he's really inviting people into. He's saying, your expectations are so small. My kingdom is going to blow you away. See this little seed planted, grows a big plant? You're going to be blown far away by what I'm going to do. When he dies on a cross, born in a manger, nobody thought that would lead to what has brought us here this morning. And so allow God to write your story. That's my challenge for you as we head off into this uh, exciting time of this third year here at Incline. And I tell you, I'm, I'm just blown away by how he keeps filling that story in in ways I could have never predicted. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each and every soul here, the souls in our uh, nursery and those back in Incline Kids, the custodians here, uh, those who are traveling and away today. What a joy and a privilege to start from just an idea to impacting and being able that we've interacted with uh, close to a thousand people through all our events and services and different people coming in and out of that. And the seed is just being cast. And I, I can't even count the people that uh, you, the, that each of us is praying for and in contact with, maybe just demonstrating the gospel in small ways right now. Lord, you are amazing. Your plan is amazing, and yet it's so hard sometimes to trust in it when we're hurt, uh, when things are broken, when we're struggling, when we're sinning, when we're frustrated with people or, or we're tired of setting up. <laughs> Lord, we've got to trust in you. So give us the energy to do that and the, and the strength to break out of the huddle and run the play and do our role and, and trust and leave the results in your lap. Because if we do that, we will never be disappointed. Uh, you are at work, Lord, and we trust you for that.